Hi everybody, welcome back to Lisa at the Edge. We've got an Azure Stack focused episode for you today. In this episode, I'm joined by Darren Small, Microsoft Azure Stack Global Black Belt, Kenny Lowe, Azure MVP and Senior Engineering Technologist at Dell, as well as a super special guest, Dino Bordenaro, Azure MVP and owner of Bordenaro IT in Germany. We discuss why Azure Stack Edge is the perfect sidekick for Azure Stack Hub, the benefits of a disconnected hub, what it means to run hub as an appliance in your data center, AKS engine, and answer some questions. We also talk a bit about the barriers to innovation and why a culture shift and deep understanding of customer issues is required to reach the potential of this new edge capability. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Lisa at the Edge. Um, this episode will be the second episode focused on the Azure Stack family. Um, if you have not listened to the first episode, go back and do so. It's episode two. We talk about the Azure Stack family, how the portfolio has now expanded, and we talk about the, the positioning and the use cases of each offering. On this episode, I am joined again by Kenny Lowe and Darren Small, and we have a super special guest, Dino Bordenaro. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hello. Um, okay, so I'm sure that everyone will know who you guys are, but um, in case they don't, can we do a little bit of an introduction? So, um, Kenny, do you want to go first? Sure. So I'm Kenny Lowe. I'm the Microsoft Hybrid Cloud Technical Lead at Dell Technologies in EMEA. I'm a Microsoft Certified Trainer and an Azure Stack MVP. Beautiful. Darren, do you want to go next? <laughs> Darren, you are on mute. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dino, you're <laughs> up next. <laughs> Hey, my name is Dino Bordonaro. I'm from Germany. I'm as well an Azure Stack MVP, running my own company and the Azure Stack fanboy since Azure Stack TP3. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for being your guest. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Much appreciated. Darren, I'm just going to double check whether we were... Nope. Okay. Okay. So we've, we've got some technical issues. Um, we're just demonstrating here what everyone is going through right now in the world <laughs> in terms of um it's, it's funny because when we joined the call the first thing darren said was can you hear me okay we said yes and he so he took off his headset and put it down and then his audio went so <laughs> yeah. that was interesting yeah i'm not sure what he was, not sure what he was trying to do there um has he left is he coming back we don't know we don't know okay right well we're going to just need to crack on and hopefully Darren will be able to join us um, soon. I mean, he's showing you still there, but on mute. Yep. Well, I'm sure that we could edit some of this uh, out with some editing magic, but leaving it in might be a bit more organic and fun. I'm definitely about uh, being organic and fun. So, and also <laughs> the less editing, the better. So he's, yeah. he's coming back with a second connection. So beautiful. <laughs> You made it. Where we go. Nothing a, a good old restart of the services can't fix, eh? Exactly. Turn it off and turn it on again. Darren, can you please introduce yourself for the listeners? Yes, of course. So Darren Small, I'm one of the Microsoft technical specialists uh, focused on our Azure Stack family of products. So my focus mainly is on our Intelligent Edge portfolio and I play within the hybrid space. So I sit in the Global Black Belt team, which is a team of specialists and technical specialists focused on you know, the previously noted uh, solutions. Beautiful. Cool. So I put out a request on the socials for questions. We've got a few questions. We'll maybe come to them later on in the in the in the podcast. Um, last time we spoke about the Azure Stack family of products as it is now a family of products. Um, and the differences between those different products. But I thought, well, actually, I'm not going to take credit. Dino had this idea um, that we should talk about how the those different offerings 
can play together or if they can play together, if they can, etc. Um, and one of the things that Dino suggested we discuss is why Azure Stack Edge is the perfect sidekick to Azure Stack Hub. So Dino, do you want to kick off a little bit and just sort of tell us what you mean about that? And we can just have a discussion. Yes, sure. I can start the conversation and then I have Kenny uh, hopefully kicking in and Darren so that they break the NDAs, not me. <laughs> 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 so um, yeah, Azure Stack Edge as well as Azure Stack HCI. Yeah, a lot of people think it's just a marketing clue to have the Azure Stack in the name, um, but it isn't. I mean, we see a lot of solutions growing together as one family and depending on the use case, it makes a lot of sense to run an Azure Stack Edge, for example, with a trained um, um, a compute model directly on the edge in cases of, or in terms of latency or in, in terms of local data processing, and then have the data collected and send over to an Azure Stack Hub to, to have the data sovereignty and keep the data in your hand instead of pumping it into a, a public cloud like, like others would do it. So we have a lot of use cases, especially in finance, in medical um, customer situations where we are not allowed to, to use public cloud, but Azure Stack Hub has the services in place. We need to have it there, but for the price of the complete appliance, it makes no sense for a lot of people to put these big appliances in all the subsidiaries. So why don't keep it in the headquarter or in every country and then use the edges as satellites or the HCIs and, and do local data processing on the edge and maybe give some local IT company the control even over this hardware to have remote ends and that stuff and then do great stuff with the collected data in the headquarter, which other data teams and, and people control them. But maybe can you want to, to add some, some information on this? Um, no, I think you've, you've said it well. Um, I think we have to, to remember what each of these products is designed to do and what it's for as well. So you, you don't use Azure uh, Stack Edge instead of Azure, for example. You use it uh, to extend part of Azure uh, out to the edge. You don't use Azure Stack Edge instead of Azure Stack Hub either. You would use it to extend some of those services uh, away as well. You can't run all your Azure services on Azure Stack Edge. Um, you can run a small subset of services. In fact, you can run Azure IoT Edge containers on Azure Stack Edge. That's about it just now. So it's not there instead of Azure or instead of Azure Stack Hub. It's to deliver a new service right to the edge where you need it. And data generated in the Azure or beside the Azure Stack Edge, fed through the Azure Stack Edge, um, can then be fed back either to public Azure through event hubs, or it could be fed into Azure Stack Hub through event hubs. They could then go on to an Azure application in Azure or Azure Stack Hub. Uh, either way, it's not there to replace those. It's there to do that initial edge processing of data. And then you use Azure or Azure Stack Hub, depending on your scenario, uh, to do something with that data. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I have uh, in mind, we had this cool demo on Ignite. I think it was, where was it? I think last year, it was in November, where we had this demo with the hospital. So it, it, it's great for the situation we are in right now, right? We have, for example, a hospital that has uh, uh, subsidiary hospitals in, let's say, 10 different cities. And what they did was use local data processing with, with the Azure Stack Edge and a camera in their refrigerator for the medication. And the, the AI in the background counted all these medication on, on every floor they had. And so the nurse came in and said, I need, uh, I need some whatever, uh, some medication for headaches. And it said, it's going to be nearly empty on your floor, but on floor three, five and seven are 10 in stock. And on the hospital left and right are even 30 more. So it took care about the stock in real time and even about the triggers to reorder medication and re uh, um, process them so that the uh, hospital number two got a message hey you have 30 in stock the other ones have five please send 20 over to them and these use cases are very very simple in in terms of building them but you need to have the idea so what i think what this solution uh, lead us through is that we need to talk more with the people in the daily business and see their pain and learn with with what we can help them because for us as a, from a technical background it's super easy to build this solution once we know the use case. Mm -hmm. So we, we need to go hand in hand and understand what they need. Yeah. And you know what? We spoke about this on our last um, episode. We're constantly getting asked, I think, from the product groups or, or from everyone around us that we work with, right? 
what's the use case? Give me an example use case. Give me an example use case. And the fact of the matter is, is that this portfolio and the, the sort of situation that you've both just described is so cool and we could really allow you to do anything that actually is waiting on people to have the ideas. And to have the ideas, we need to actually go deeper into customers probably than we've been before and really talk about what are their problems and what are they trying to achieve. I kind of feel like we've come to this place within technology, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before, whereby previously we were kind of led by it in that people would put out specific products for specific things and specific use cases and you would, you would sort of pick one. Whereas now, technology with the likes of Azure and cloud native services are offering up capability. Yeah, so they're just, they're just offering up capability and then it's really up to the users, the customers, the partners, the buyers to figure out what you're then going to use that capability to solve. Um, and I really like the idea actually of what you pitched at the beginning there, Dino, about um, Azure Stack Edge and then having the choice about whether you, you, you push that data back to Azure Stack Hub and you remain in control of that or you push it up, push it up to Azure Cloud, right? Because that's a big differentiator. We all know Edge, Lisa at the Edge, we all know Edge is where, you know, all the, the, the computing and the data analyzing and all this stuff needs to happen, but it's always been thought of in conjunction with, well, I need to send that to a public cloud to do the AI, to do all the cool stuff, whereas now we're bringing that capability on-prem and you have such, you have more options, right, about what you do and, and how you build that. And like you said, all these things are really simple to build, but I think it's about people understanding the capabilities and the and the, the what's there and how to use it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I agree with all of that. And, and, you know, just this morning having this exact conversation and going back to, you know, it's a, fam it's a, it's a portfolio of solutions. It's not one or the other. It could, it could be a combination of all, but you, you said at least it's about, the right platform or the right solution for the right use case at the right time and that's where we have this kind of broad you know uh, taxonomy of, of hybrid products right now um, Dino, Dino was mentioning about the, the use case that we've seen at Ignite I love that use case the technology that was used in that use case as well it spans verticals and spans um, customers as well and customer scenarios so that same type of you know, having a, an Azure Stack Edge device deployed at the edge or far edge in these kind of harsher locations, but using very similar type of technologies like the Custom Vision APIs from Cognitive Services and so on, using these um, in predictive maintenance type scenarios, in worker safety type scenarios, in retail, we can, we can tweak these same types of AI models, for example, and reuse very similar types of designs and architecture, but deployed on our platforms wherever the platforms may need to be on premises and at the edge. Yep, I agree with this. And if you see uh, other use case, for example, but, but also from a medical standpoint here, uh, there, there's this use case of Olympus. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. They're still in business, which I didn't know, and they're doing uh, special cameras with White Angel and all that stuff. And um, they have a software partner and, and develop the camera system around this for surgery management. So Olympus uses Azure Stack Edge to manage all these surgeries to, to, to say this room is clear and now it's safe to bring the patient in. It informs the doctor to come just in time to the surgery room and at the same time it takes care of all the, um, the tools that were used while the surgery was running and telling the doctor, hey, you can close the patient now. It's safe you didn't forget something and that's all the cool stuff that people try to solve with a lot of technology like qr codes and rfid tags mm -hmm. and all that stuff which is so easy with cloud technologies and i've seen this in a data center i went to two days ago i mean they had a, a, a station with hardware and they measured fever without touching the system right and i i was impressed about this technology because i stand in front of it it says green or red and then i contacted the manufacturer because they do other security systems as well and we have them in our building for, for, the, for the door locks and I said yes this was a lot of month work for the hardware piece of it and I said and what is the benefit of it and I said to know how how to measure it and I said why don't you keep your intellectual property to know how how to measure it and for the rest use edge technology like Azure Stack Edge or whatever and they never had the idea a lot of people in these days think 
We have to have it all in our house. We have to build all ourselves and everything comes from our product only. And that's wrong. We need to, to work hand in hand with others. We need to transfer knowledge and we need to um, talk to each other because then the time to market is two, three, four, five times faster than building it from yourself and even design hardware, which needs to come out from China, which is a big issue these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, completely agree. Actually, on that note, you know, you know, we've we've got customers, you know, and I'm coming across um, scenarios where, you know, we've got organisations who are using, you know, have got IoT scenarios and they're up and running right now, so they they've got these use cases and these applications running now in public cloud or in Azure, as an example. You know, can we make that experience a whole lot better by introducing, you know, an edge device? You know, reducing latency, getting real-time results, but having those quick wins and those types of technologies that, that, that already exist, but implementing, you know, stack edge devices. And, and then, you know, moving from that, like, like you mentioned already, is, you know, replicating these types of, of scenarios across, you know, across different verticals and different, different use cases. I think we're very much in a situation that we've maybe not been in before whereby it's all about the technology and the capability is there right and it'll continue to grow but unless people change their way of working unless people start to solve the issues that have um, blocked innovation you know traditionally in uh, companies you know this whole siloed mentality the sort of old process of R&D and not really taking it seriously unless people start to to embrace innovation like you said Dino sharing the knowledge speaking with each other even within your own company you know like the IT team I say this all the time like the tech teams and the business teams need to speak together and not just about you know how they're running the basic infrastructure or your laptop like bring them into your business strategic meetings and and have them part of it because that's the only way that you will be able to harness this technology and I think it's very much a market whereby it's going to be those companies the companies that manage to fix the culture issue around innovation will be the companies who will be able to take advantage of this capability and create these use cases and once these use cases are created that's great because of course you know people need examples and they need ideas and they need to they need to know what's possible but the people who do that first will be out the gate <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the thing is lisa i think you're on the right absolute right track i think a lot of of these issues start with culture I'm, i've i've worked for, in a lot of countries and with the failure culture like it is in the usa it's not everywhere a lot of countries are out there where people are not allowed to fail where people just say, yes, I understand, I can do it, and they have no idea what, what, what it means, just so that they look strong in front of the customer, which is yes. wrong. In, in these days, the good ones are the ones who say, I'm not sure, if, I've never done it before, I'm willing to learn, and we can go hand in hand, and let's do it. And you have countries, for example, like, the best example is USA, Germany. So in Germany, if someone search for a consultant for... IS on Azure Stack, they expect that you know every button inside out in public Azure. So mm-hmm. even in these days, I, I think Kenny can agree, uh, people like Kenny and me work a lot with scripting, with PowerShell and all that stuff. So if Microsoft brings a new feature, it can happen that it takes us weeks to know about this new button because we use PowerShell for weeks and we, we didn't see new features in there because you don't go all, over all parameters for every command that is out there. So we, we, we need to... Um, be perfect in a German world, but in the US world, they say, even if you don't know what to do, just come over, we learn it together, and then we do great stuff, and that's okay, and we pay you even for learning, and that's the big difference. The cloud technology is so fast, there's nobody out there that can handle all the puzzle pieces in the same quality, so it only can work if the guy with SQL knowledge works with the guy with IS knowledge, works with the guy with IoT knowledge, and all together, we can do great things. And, and that's the, the biggest issue we have to get all these people on, on, the, on the same desk sharing their, their ideas without having the, the feeling that someone wants to steal <clears throat> some, something out of the mind of another one. Yeah. And bring them in early, I think, helps as well. You know, so I completely agree about the, you know, the, kind of the joint team effort. 
um, and how we should, you know, you know, organisations should work together. I think what I've seen in the past is that the earlier you bring in those, you know, those, um, you know, maybe some of those departments or, or maybe even at certain individuals that, that are maybe a little bit cautious about this new world or, you know, maybe even thinking about losing their own jobs, bring them into this whole process early, let them be part of the transformation, let them be part of the evaluation, make them yep. feel empowered. And that helps with the culture change, with the mindset shifts, and, and ultimately helps the customers and organizations be successful. I can give you a, also a good example about this, about a recent project I'm, I'm in, and Kenny knows the project as well as, as he uh, helps me with this, uh, as well as the Microsoft guys do. And you need to understand what a customer is doing, and you need to know it in deep. So I'm in a project with a chemical company, and what was new for me, for example, was I asked them, why do we need an Azure Hub in a factory? And why should we cache data that you just hit a button on your keyboard and it drops out of SAP? And they said, we want to have this data for one, two, three, four days, like in a kind of queue slash cache on site in this Azure Stack Hub. So if we cut the cable, we still can, can work for a couple of days. And in my mind, everything was about money. And that's not it it's just about chemical processes. So if they start to manufacture product A, which kicks off the chemical process, which takes three or four days, they need to make sure they, when they get a cyber attack or whatever, that they can bring the complete process to an end in a safe way without blowing up the whole factory. And these are use cases. Nobody of us thought about this because mm -hmm. we know there's a light, you mm -hmm. push the light button, the light goes on or off but it doesn't take three days until the light goes off or on, uh, on or off. And yeah. that's, that's very interesting to, to see this pain in these factories out there that they say you can bring these new technologies, but only if you ca can make sure that the people stay safe in the factory and that we can make sure that if something happens, no one will get hurt, no human or no one around the factory. And that's very interesting. And it also opened my eyes to, to dig deeper left and right of my project instead of, driving with, with, with 300 miles per hour straight mm -hmm. forward. <laughs> yeah. Kenny, were you going to say something there? Uh, I, the only thing I was going to say was that this is where we start delving from the sort of what we think of as the traditional use cases for Azure Stack Hub, which is the regulatory compliance, the dark sites, the disconnected, the uh, bandwidth constraint, the things like that. And we go into more industry-specific or even company-specific use cases, which make absolute complete sense when you learn about them, but aren't blindingly obvious until you know about them. Yeah. 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 And, and, and we have to help the customers as well, you know, in our organizations as well, because they don't know what they, they don't know yet. I just did a call this morning, you know, as a little bit of a refresher on, on Azure, you know, Azure Stack Hub. And I thought, you know, it's probably a little—it's probably valuable for this customer to realise now that this is more than just one platform, and you know, and actually the current state and their future state is—is is, you know, in my my eyes, is a combination of Azure, Azure Stack Hub, Azure Stack HCI, and even Azure Stack Edge. When we get additional features and functionality like VM support and Kubernetes support, so yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, it's, we have to, you know, it's, I completely agree. We, you know, it's, it's difficult to keep up, especially in the cloud world, but, you know, I think we, we all have a responsibility, I guess, to keep our, our, our customers and our partners up to date and up to speed. Well, that's why it's great being an Azure Stack Hub person, because you only have a small subset of features to keep up to date with, <laughs> yeah. uh, unlike public Azure. So it can seem super knowledgeable when only having to focus on a tiny subset of things. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> not tiny. It's not tiny. <laughs> In comparison so, to Azure, <laughs> of course. Yeah, I know. yeah, so I think, I think basically what we're saying is, I think the biggest barrier to innovation is fear, right? Fear of failure, yes. fear of being wrong. Um, people want you to innovate, but they want you to also be able to confirm that it absolutely will work and do what they want it to do. Um, so we need that culture shift. We need the culture shift of breaking down silos and working with each other. And I think we need this change as well in the way that we work with our customers. You know, we always say it's all about the customer and we listen to the customer, but this is this is taking it levels deeper. You really need to go in and understand that industry and listen to their problems. Actually forget about technology. You know, you know roughly in the back of your head what the capabilities are and where you could go. Um, 
but listen find out exactly what their problems are not just like you said you know we need to save money or i mean that could be a, you know apparently that could be a, a a pain point but how do you need to save money how are you currently losing money what are the what are the like five or six steps that lead you to lose that money which hurts you know because that's probably where you need to go you go and solve it and then you and then you look at the technology available and see if you can make that work um absolutely okay i'm going to move on to another point which is okay so with hub we know that one of the the big unique differentiators is that it can operate disconnected and this is pretty special um it's not no other offering can currently do this whether similar offering or though although we could argue about whether they're similar or not but we won't do that on this podcast um <laughs> maybe another one um but yeah so azure stack hub can operate disconnected now um some people in the conversations that i've been involved with they kind of assume that they just i need it to be disconnected but there are considerations to take into account with the way you license it etc um, but also there's there's advantages right so there's pros and cons so i wondered if we could talk a little bit a little bit about that i think darren or kenny is the best part to to answer this here yeah well the, the, so the first thing i'd like to do is define what disconnected means um disconnected here doesn't mean disconnected from the internet it can but what disconnected means in context of azure stack hub is disconnected from azure and it means that you're not connected to public Azure, uh, which means you can't, for example, take advantage of direct connection to uh, the marketplace for disindicating directly from Azure. You don't get the page you go billing. Uh, there are a few tweaks and changes there, uh, but in a disconnected mode, there's nothing stopping you from being connected to the internet. It's, it's purely about being connected to Azure when we talk about disconnected. So I just want to throw that out there first. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally agree. Totally agree. And we, we, you know, we have situations where we hear I need disconnected or I need to be air gapped as well. Mm -hmm. so how, how locked down can I, can I, can I, can I be? And I guess the answer is, you know, as much as you need to be, you know, we, we have, we have air gapped deployments right now, but they still speak to, you know, other services and functionality within the boundaries of that corporate network. Right. So we, we can, we can still be disconnected from Azure take advantage of all those well we can take advantage of azure right we have azure now that's that, that's that, that's on-prem albeit not relying on public azure itself yep yep exactly so disconnected from azure but still able to connect to other systems solutions on the same site in multiple sites whatever uh, the key is just that it's not connected to public azure what are the use cases you guys see for this or that the verticals that that this is uh where it really has a benefit because in my daily business it's just because you have the customer who want to be disconnected just because he wants it not because he needs it yeah yeah i mean that's um a very german thing right uh, <laughs> being the, the disconnected just because i want it to be disconnected from azure i want it to be my own i want it to be in country uh, it seems to be a very german thing in my experience you can tell me if i'm wrong or not um in terms of who we see or i see disconnected being used it's um technically regulated industries especially in public sector in um uh, sort of military type use cases things like that where they need to be uh, disconnected and then in places where there just is no bandwidth as well there is no connectivity to azure so even if you want to and you're able to you can't connect it to public azure so it could be in a country somewhere in um, in Africa with very uh, limited connectivity, for example, where it just can't be connected. Uh, or a cruise boat or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, those. And, and Which those is real, by the way. There are, there are cruise ships using Azure Stack Hubs. Absolutely. I was just about to say, you know, as far-fetched <laughs> as it may sound, they, they are real. Uh, and I'd agree, agree with Kenny, you know, I, uh, you know, engagements I'm on and, and I see are, you know, within the public sector space, defence and so on. Um, and I, we, we have seen, you know, requirements come from financial as well. Um, but when you challenge a little bit more, and it goes back to Lisa's point about challenging and, and you know, understanding why, why do you need uh, disconnected? And, and you dig a little bit deeper and you, un you start kind of unpeeling 
and you realize that there's no reason uh, you really need to have a completely disconnected environment. Actually, when you peel a little bit further, maybe um, we can start utilizing Azure as well as Azure Stack Hub. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, the, the, these are where we, you know, we have a responsibility to, you know, to, to, to I guess, to challenge and put, put our best platforms forward for the, you know, understand the business case and then, and then bring a solution to back that up. Yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes we find that people um, want it to be disconnected because they want to have their data stay within their own premises, not realizing that even in a connected model, the data does still remain within the Azure Tech Hub. It doesn't leave. And we have to think about separating in our minds the data plane and the management plane um, and thinking about regulatory compliance in terms of those two constructs rather than an all-in-one, all-encompassing construct. Yeah, completely agree. And just going back to you know you clarifying what disconnected actually means, it's just as important to clarify what connected actually means as well. So, so you know, like you said, you know, you, the data still remains on Azure Stack Hub even in a connected deployment. You know, the the, the the reliance on Azure is you know things like registration and 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 billing, for example. But no data is ever going to leave your Stack Hub unless you want it to and and configure it to. And that's a good point on the billing aspect, right? Because one of the the implications of when you have a disconnected hub is that you don't get to take advantage of that um, pay-as-you-go type billing. You have to license that hub as a capacity model, so like an yes. EA agreement or whatever, you, and then that's based on basically the most that you could use um, of the hub yeah. or you agree a certain amount and then you know you use against that. So there are some implications when going disconnected that, that you need yeah. to take into account and might actually... Hey, hey, for me, the biggest one actually is the identity piece. In a disconnected model, you don't get to take advantage of Azure Active Directory, and that's massive. I mean, <laughs> people want to go disconnected for security reasons often, but actually using Azure Active Directory will give you better security in many cases than using your own on-premises Active Directory, uh, strange though it may seem. <laughs> Yeah, completely agree. I completely agree. We, we come across scenarios where, you know, Azure Stack operators are also the domain admins, mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, you can imagine types of uh, situations that are possible um, there. You know, with, with Azure AD, we, we, we're getting layers of additional security there, I guess, yeah. um, just by, by, by default. And features and functionality that just don't exist in on-premises Active Directory. You can apply your conditional access. You can get all sorts of intelligence and threat prevention and detection uh, built in, all sorts of cool stuff there, uh, your multi-factor authentication and so on. Okay, cool. Um, so, so let's move on there to the fact. And I think, so we actually, in fact, I'm going to join this topic with a question. <clears throat> So we had, in fact, we had two questions and I'm going to join this with this topic. That's what I'm going to do. So we had a question, um, first off, for those trying to understand and evaluate if Azure Stack Hub is the right solution for their organization, what lab, demo, evaluation, et cetera, options are open to them? I would say that actually prior to that, everything that we've just discussed in the first of this, uh, the first half of this podcast is, is also relevant. But the second question was, we often see models that show where the customer's responsibility lies when they run their workloads on Azure, i.e. the hardware is looked after by Microsoft, while things like server patching is still the customer's responsibility. Is there such a model for Azure Stack available? And what I want to loop this into is the topic around what does it mean to run Azure Stack Hub in your data center? So Azure Stack Hub comes as an appliance or you know, you might call it a black box, what does it mean to run that? So I was wondering, yeah, if we, if we could talk a little bit about that, how do you evaluate that it's the right solution for your business? What considerations do you need to take into place because you'll be running this appliance within your data center? And then in terms of that responsibility split between the likes of Azure or your hardware OEM partner, you know, and the fact that, and I think I say this all the time, like Hub is such a partner play because you can carve it up in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. So maybe I can I can say yeah. something about this because it's my daily business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it all starts with a with a great architect, whoever it is. But it's not a question if Azure Stack Hub is the 
and others correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not a question is if Azure Stack Hub is the perfect solution for me. It's always the question about what is your use case and what should the big picture look like. And then it's the job from me as an architect and my OEM partners like Kenny at Dell EMC and you um, to, to bring in an Azure Stack Hub into this big picture because we need the data sovereignty, the latency, and all that stuff around it. I mean, it's, it's, it's never... a a bare metal box that you try to sell like it was with old servers in the past, it must fit into the customer requirements. And to answer this question, we need to know from A to Z what the requirement is for the customer. And then we can say we need Azure Stack Hub, HCI, or Edge, or whatever different. But it's not about selling hardware. It's very important to say at the end of the day. It's not, it's not something you put, put out of your head and say, here we go. It's yours, buy one, get one free, that's it. It's about how does the solution look like and I don't know how others do it, but my approach is always to put everything in the public cloud that is possible. And, and then you have the real benefit and whatever don't fits in the public cloud, these, I don't know, even in, in normal customer situation, you have always these 20% of systems that need to stay on-prem for this, may Azure Stack Hub be the best solution or you have the customer who will need everything on-prem and for those also Azure Stack Hub is the same uh, benefit because you can run public cloud processes and teams in DevOps style on on-prem hardware. That's the main benefit. And I trade a, a company um, in the last 12 months about Azure Stack Hub and now they ask, can we use Azure Cloud? And I said, yes, you can. And they said, we need training. And I said, no, you're well prepared. You do exactly mm -hmm. the same. You just change one line, one line of code, which is the region management. You kick it out. You just log into the Azure, the Azure account and you're in. And they gave me a phone call 10 minutes later. I said, all of our scripts work. And I said, yes, they are the same APIs, just in some in an older version than on, than on today's public Azure. And they were totally, totally uh, happy about it because they didn't realize the training on Azure Step Hub. We, I also trained them to, to be the perfect operators for public cloud as well. Mm, yeah. And that's yeah. cool. Now they go to DevOps and they do all these DevOps style of, of things that, that we enable them with. And this is maybe also the point where, where Darren and Kenny can say something about it. But the ones who try also the OEMs on the market, who try to sell hardware, they're not the ones who succeed on the market. Yeah. Totally agree. And the, I mean, the, the way we always talk about Azure Stack Hub is the same as you said there, Dino. It's, um, it's for customers who have an Azure strategy. They want to use Azure. For some reason, they can't. So that's why they're looking at Azure Stack Hub. But for all those workloads that they can put in Azure, they should and will because that's their strategy. It's never instead of, it's as well as. Um, so the first thing is if you're looking at Azure Stack Hub, make sure you know Azure and make sure you're looking at Azure and uh, if you can use it, you are using it. That's the first thing. Uh, because in getting skilled up in Azure, you're also getting skilled up in um, the tenant space in Azure Tech Hub. Um, in terms of how you evaluate it, how you can look at it, um, if you want to, there are a few models available. I mean, there's the Azure Tech Developer Kit, uh, which is a free software, which you can download and install on any suitable hardware. The specs are a little bit eye-watering. But if you have the, the hardware available, you can download that for free and install it yourself. It just needs a one new server uh, to install and that will give you all the features and functionality of Azure Stack Hub to test on a single server so no resiliency not available for production use and no patch and update available because you can't do that on a single server like that um, but it's fantastic for learning the platform and most importantly fantastic for learning about the Azure Stack operator responsibilities which if you're going to be running the Azure Stack Hub um, for your organization or for your customers that's your role which Microsoft does in public Azure you will do for Azure Stack Hub and you can do it for well, not very much money at all or no money at all if you already have the hardware on an Azure Stack developer kit. And I think it's that process as well that would then looking at that second question, you would get to learn about the, the customer responsibility, right? So for, mm -hmm. so for Hub, um, it depends how you buy it. So if you, like you say, if you buy it, put it in your data center and you take on the management of it, then Microsoft and your chosen OEM are responsible for the updates to that. You are responsible for applying those updates and keeping it updated. Kenny's about to correct me. Nope, um, I was I was not about to correct you at all. That's completely accurate. You're responsible oh. for applying those updates. Oh, okay, I thought I misread your facial expression. <laughs> um, so if you if you 
buy the hub, put it in your prem. Your um, Microsoft and OEM are responsible for providing updates to that and supporting either the software or the hardware. And we spoke about this before. Um, Dell and Microsoft's support is intertwined at the back end. So if you raise a support request with Microsoft, but it's actually for the hardware, that's cool, gets back to us. In terms of then running that hub, there's a few different layers and you can there's options as to how to carve up, right? So you could hand off keeping that hub updated to a managed service provider and they might just solely take responsibility for applying those updates every month and working with the OEM and the Microsoft to make sure it's kept up to date. Then there could be the point where, <clears throat> just like managed service providers do this in public Azure as well, you could be entirely responsible for all of the workloads that you deploy, run and manage on hub or you could have someone come in and take care of that for you. So you could have someone come in and take care of the, the governance and the policies and, and the, you know, the infrastructure, um, and you could be responsible for a very small part of it. That's very, it's up to how you set up that hub and what partners you engage, right? Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, that that's, guess the choice from the customer's perspective they may bring existing relationships with those partners as well and you know they, they bring their known trusted partners to just extend those services you know maybe from azure to stack hub from from a from an, you know a user perspective or those onboarding of the applications supporting up to the operating system which tends to be a lot of the time a lot of the norm and then there's the operational responsibilities of stack so they you know like like, like was, has been mentioned, you know, with Stack, it is, yes, it's Azure, but it is still essentially um, hardware that sits or, you know, infrastructure that sits within your control. So there are still some operational responsibilities there. They are few, and that's by design, right? We want to bring as much of the experience of Azure as we can to Azure Stack Hub. You know, so just, in, just off the top of my head, you know, some of those operational responsibilities to think about are when when you get access to your Azure Stack Hub system, um, you you don't have anything within your marketplace, right? We're not going to populate your marketplace with with um, you know templates and solutions that you might never use, right? So up to the operator to populate the marketplace. You want to be setting up things like monitoring and alerts of the platform as well. So all of the monitoring and alerts available via APIs to plug into your existing um, solutions. Um, you would need to carve up your your resources essentially so within public azure you subscribe to a subscription and you start consuming services on azure stack hub it's exactly the same it's just that someone has to the operator has to create those subscriptions yeah. for you or essentially carve up the resources which in azure stack hub speak is offers plans and quotas and actually that's the same in azure it's just that again that's an element that's been abstracted away from you as, a, as an end user so in azure stack hub someone has to create the offers plans and quotas and then essentially it's it's up to then the operator or the business need at that point in time whether you know which offer is attached to which user subscription. You can make the offers public so that users can subscribe to those offers um, from from within, from within the tenant space, which is which is absolutely fine. You know if we've got a self-service need, then that's great. Or we can you know the operator can keep that control within their kind of uh, constraints. And then finally, I guess, and I might have missed one of finally the patch. So that someone has to, you know, once that update's been made available, like you said, Lisa, someone, the operator has to log in there um, into the admin portal. Although there's a not, you can automate this, I guess, as well to an extent, um, and hit the button, you know, hit the patching up, you know, install now button to go away and do the patching and updating. So there are few, I think I named four buckets there. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there are few, but there are some to consider. Dino. Yes. Do you want to weigh in here? Your, yes, we, the update data. is always uh, the update spoken as an operator. Well, I mean, I, I don't know the ones who don't know what I'm doing. We are um, a managed service provider out of Germany and we also run our own system, Dell All Flash. <laughs> um, so the fast, fastest and best systems we have, yes. <laughs> and um, we have two parts of this update. I mean, it's always the OEM side of the update, like drivers, firmware and all that stuff. 
And um, it's the, the Microsoft part, which, which Darren just mentioned, and as well it's documentation. I mean, before you hit a button, you need to read the release yeah. notes, prepare some stuff also. Maybe if you run app services, you need to take care you are on, on the version which is compatible with the next update and things like this. So there are a lot of things to look left and right. And what, what I love about this, that, that it's a high secure black box solution that even if you outsource the operator role to an external company, whoever it is, Mm-hmm. No one is ever able to access the data of a custom subscription. So whatever you run on it, I can't see it. I can see the box. I can see if the box is healthy and happy, but I can't see who's eating the grass that I provide with this box. Mm-hmm. So unless the customer goes like a public Azure to his user subscription and onboards my AAD or ADFS user to it and give me some, some owner, contributor, whatever, reader rights, I'm not seeing anything at all. I mean, that's the coolest stuff ever because you can oh, outsource cool. something with, 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 without the need of to have high trust to someone in case of the data that you run on the box. So even the disks are very high encrypted. We have this, I think the highest certification is FedRAMP high in the USA, which is one of the highest requirements. And we even have that one in, in, in the box. And, and for those who are not familiar with Azure Stack Hub, so even we as an operator, we have no, nothing like administrator password, but which everyone knows since 30 years, it's not there. So if we have an issue, we call Microsoft support and we give them a key. Microsoft gives us a key back. And once we log in together as, as a team, we are for eight hours in an administrator kind of role and can fix stuff. And then the box is locked and sealed again. And that's the cool thing about Azure Stack Hub. It, it gives a lot of control to Microsoft. And for me as an operator, I always have to trust there's someone standing be- behind me who knows all the parts from Windows OS over the hardware layer, over the Azure Stack Hub software, all the microservices, everything, the control, everything on top of the hardware layer and the operating system. And this is what makes Azure Stack Hub very, very special compared to Azure Stack HCI, where you have the failover cluster and can run all your roles, but you still have access to disks and and copy data from A to B and and have complete administrator roles. I mean, I I know the technology in deep for Azure Stack Hub, and it's always like a wonder how secure you can make a Windows Mm -hmm. server. And this is the point where I said, Azure Stack Hub showed me actually that we may use maybe 5% of the features that the Windows Server gave us in the past. 95% were just laying there without use at all. And this is what Microsoft uses. They use just everything that comes out of the box with a Windows Server. Yeah. Everyone has it. And, and um, I mean, the, the technology does exist in Azure Stack HCI to protect um, your VMs from, you know, exfiltration of data. Uh, by bad actors or malicious admins or compromised credentials or things like that through shielded VMs. So the guarded fabric and shielded VMs in Hyper-V 2016 and 2019 can uh, protect your data. So even if you copy the data disks out, um, they're encrypted. Uh, You're not able to um, open up a console session to your VMs, things like that. You can protect yourself from compromised credentials or bad admins there. But it takes a lot of extra effort. You lose some of your um, management capabilities. And uh, it's just built into Azure Stack uh, Hub, not shielded VMs, but the same sort of processes, the same ability to to not be able to access the user data as an admin. It's just built into the platform. So actually in the platform, that there isn't a need to have a, a feature like shielded VMs like there is in Azure Stack HCI just because the, the security model of Azure Stack Hub is so locked down by default anyway. It's really, really pretty cool. It has self-service capabilities. You can give the yeah. complete self-service in the customer's hand. You have the Azure Monitor and all that ish, uh, all these features around it to see who accessed your data, when, who started VM, who stopped it, custom roles, and all the capabilities, capabilities beside ARM, which is very powerful to have all these template capabilities. So Azure Stack Hub is more the DevOps style of of hardware, and if you just want to run VMs in a, in a Hyper-V environment, instead of VMware to save licensing costs, for example, then Azure Stack HCI may be the perfect solution for you. If you need a layer two outbreak and all that traditional hardware stuff. If you want to have the modern, cool, new stuff and, and work in a cloud operating model, then Azure Stack Hub is the perfect solution for you. There's no right yeah. or wrong. I would I would frame it as Azure Stack Hub is for application and operations modernization. 
And Azure Stack HCI is if you want to do just infrastructure modernization without how, changing how you do things on top. Um, and that's high a, performance, very high yeah. performance with yes. little price. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Okay, so I'm going to ask another question and then let's talk a little bit about AKS as that's coming soon. So the last question before we get on to that is Azure services, are they region dependent? So for example, web apps aren't available in the UAE data centers. Could I potentially go get an Azure Stack Hub device and then host my web apps on that? Or would the web app service also not be available on my Azure Stack Hub device? It's a good question. So the, the answer, I guess, as long and short of it is that um, services on Azure Stack Hub are not region locked like that. So um, you can install your Azure Stack Hub anywhere and deploy the app service, Azure App Service on it as you want. Uh, and there are no um, no limitations there. So you could you could uh, run a tactical ruggedized Azure Stack uh, two miles down the road in the open from the UAE data centers and have services that they don't have uh, if you wanted. Uh, that'd be pretty cool. Um, I, I guess that, yeah, just because. Uh, <laughs> go and compete with them. Um, but uh, I, I guess it becomes more nuanced going forward when, I mean, there's uh, WVD, Windows Virtual Desktop announced at Ignite last year for Azure Stack Hub. And the way that works is it'll be exactly as I was saying earlier, the data plane and management plane split out. So the data plane will exist in Azure Stack Hub, the management plane in public Azure, and you'll manage your Azure, your WVD uh, VMs and workloads from public Azure. Um, that will require WVD to exist in the region from which you are managing it as a service. So it could be the case that you are deploying WVD in Azure Stack Hub or wanting to use it in a region where WVD doesn't exist in public Azure. So your management has to be done from a different region then, um, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And there's now, um, as of the past couple of months, I think, there's now Azure Stack Hub comparison checkbox has been added to the public Azure functionality or features set. So there's a services to region graph I found that today. table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so you know, have a look at that. You know, go go and check the Azure Stack Hub box, and then check to see what. You know, if Windows Virtual Desktop's a great example of that. You know, mm -hmm. if, there's, if there's other services there, then you know we're making it easier for you to go and, and check those out. Yeah, yep. and, and speaking about updates and constant innovation, there was a new version of the Azure App Service released for Azure today. Stack Hub just today. So need to go and read the release notes, yep. then update it uh, and get going with the latest version. Yeah, but, but speaking of comparison, just to, to break out on, a, on another issue uh, quickly, um, I, I tried Azure Migrate the last month and I found out if you do, uh, Azure, for those who don't know Azure Migrate, it's a very cool appliance for VMware and you can run it even on Hyper-V and it, it runs beside your VMs and gets performance counters out. And if you wanna move to the cloud, it gives you a, a cool overview Excel sheet of what your requirements are, what the costs are, and you have an idea what the, the move to the cloud would cost you. And in the past, we had so many VM types in public Azure and not all of them exist in Azure Stack. And you could get a rough idea, but no, no perfect picture about it and now i found out and which made me very happy that azure migrate you can limit now the the vm types it compares so you can say give me the comparison with the cost chart out of it but only use a type vms f type d types and you can limit it to the kind of vms that azure stack hub supports and you get the perfect numbers out of azure migrate so that's brilliant i used so i've always been a fan of azure migrate i've seen the reports and they just speak to me i love them um <laughs> i love the information that you get out of them i love the fact that it will show you very clearly what vms can move what needs work what maybe you need a lot of work and it, you know it's, it's a great planning tool so the fact that you can now um use that for Azure, yes, that, oh, I like it. For yes. planning for your Azure Stack Hub migration. It's not for doing the migration, no, uh, no. sadly, but for planning <laughs> for it, absolutely awesome tool. That's so cool. Okay, we've, you know, the time has flown by in this podcast, by the way. Um, I'm loving it. So do we want to, we'll just end on um, talking about AKS um, engine coming to Azure Stack Hub. 
and how that compares with um, running Docker, Kubernetes manually, um, what this means for Azure Stack Hub. Any comments on that? So, so I can start. I know Dino was going to ask, probably fill in here. So AKS Engine is available today on Stack Hub. Oh. So AKS Engine is yeah, essentially the same engine we use in AK, Azure Container or Azure Kubernetes service in Azure. So this is still, it's, it's a tool to allow you to deploy and scale Kubernetes clusters on Azure Stack Hub. Right. So it's still an infrastructure as a service play right now. Okay. Um, so we still need someone to use the tool, AKS Engine, to deploy and maintain and scale the clusters and then feed and water those clusters um, you know, as, as time goes on. But of course, the tool is awesome. You know, I'd advise anyone to go out and, you know, if they've got access to an Azure Stack development kit or even if they've got access to Azure Stack multi-node, go and use it. It's so easy. Um, I did one two nights ago for a demo done yesterday. The the, um, the completion of a three, a three worker node, three master node Kubernetes cluster completed in less than nine minutes, which is hugely impressive. And my Azure Stack Hub multi-node isn't, as powerful as what an end customer would get, let's just say. So, you know, go out and use it. Um, and, and, and customers will, you know, could take advantage of that now whilst we await, you know, AKS as a PaaS service coming to Azure Stack Hub very soon. And Don't ask supported me when. by Microsoft. <laughs> and supported by Microsoft. Great, great point, you know, absolutely great point. So you're supported from the tool all the way through to the, you know, the fabric and the cluster that it runs on. That's very yeah. cool. And, and the same. Oh, okay. you, you, no, no, no. Okay, I will. Um, so, uh, and, and again, like I said, we have to split out the, the management and the data plane for like the Azure uh, Stack Hub and things like that. Also, when you're looking at Kubernetes, you have to split out the infrastructure management and the, the development cycle there as well. And what AKS uh, Engine and AKS really give you is um, that managed uh, or or simplified uh, infrastructure management piece of Kubernetes. It makes that super simple. Uh, going forward, um, from a, a development and deployment perspective, Azure Arc for Kubernetes fills that gap there and makes it super simple to consistently uh, deploy, uh, manage the deployment workflows for your Kubernetes clusters. So what we're always trying to do is abstract you away from having to manage things you don't want to manage. So from the infrastructure side, AKS gives you that. From an Azure Arc, uh, from a, a developer perspective, Azure Arc for Kubernetes will give you that. Um, and Yes, you could run Kubernetes in any one of a number of different platforms, but if you have to do all the management under the hood yourself, you never get the time back to work on the cool stuff up top. And what AKS does uh, in Azure and what AKS Engine does in Azure Tech Hub today and what AKS fully in Azure Tech Hub in, this, in the near future give is it gives you that time back. Uh, and it's super important when looking at how you actually deploy and manage your Kubernetes workloads. Yeah, because you don't want to be like, oh, yes, I'm going to take advantage of Kubernetes and I'm just going to solve all my problems and that's what I'm going to use. And then you spend hours deploying and managing your Kubernetes and then you never get to the point that you were trying to get to. No, I want to click like three buttons and have it done. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's really easy. Actually, maybe just a, a bit of a plug for the recent um learning that we did so so we i think walter oliver from the microsoft team did an aks or a kubernetes session that i believe was open to the to anyone uh, and i if i'm not mistaken i believe the recording was it's done on YouTube. And shared it's mm -hmm. on youtube there you go dino yeah. thank you that's what i was looking for so um yeah anyone who's listening and is interested in that go have a search and um if someone and, could and, give me the um, link that, i'll put it in the show notes sweet and actually i just want to, to to mention briefly Azure Arc for data services as well, because uh, Azure Arc for data services allows uh, Microsoft to push their PaaS services basically anywhere where there's a Kubernetes cluster. At the moment, just um, SQL managed instances and Postgres SQL, but uh, more coming in the future. And the way they do that is they push a containerized version of that PaaS service down to a Kubernetes cluster somewhere. Now, in order to, for that to work, you have to have a Kubernetes cluster, so you have to provision that. If you have an Azure Stack Hub, your process for doing that is to run a little command and you have your cluster there and you can scale your cluster with a little command uh, and it's super simple and easy to do. So if you want to take advantage of Azure Arc for data services, the easiest place to do that in the Azure hybrid world is in Azure Stack Hub where you can just use 
the Azure Kubernetes engine to deploy that uh, backend cluster for you. So all these things interplay and tie together and work uh, neatly together, and it's all part of that larger hybrid story. Yeah, and what is very important on this, just to, to have it mentioned for the end, uh, the AKS engine consists also of an AKS base image. If you want to use it, there's no need to use it. But the cool thing about it is that Microsoft maintains it. It's a Ubuntu Linux VM with all the AKS tools and, and uh, third-party scripts and stuff needed for this Azure Kubernetes service and uh, to spin up with supported versions like 114, 115, and 116 uh, uh, today. And the, the cool thing is, for example, I did a training last week and we had a cluster with the October base image for AKS engine deployed and we had Kubernetes 1.14.8. And if you want to just move to a new patch and updated OS under it, you just say, use the new, new AKS engine version, which ties together with the base image. And you say, but stay on the same Kubernetes version. So you had no outage at all. And you run a newer image, six months newer, fully patched and updated and secured and hardened by Microsoft. And that's the amazing thing that the complete base under your building is maintained by Microsoft and also supported by Microsoft. And this is what makes it very special about it, that Microsoft takes care also about scaling up, scaling down, and all these infrastructure um, resources needed to run this Kubernetes cluster. So they take, they take the complete complexity out of it for you. That's Great so cool. point, you know. Yeah, so cool. Love <laughs> it. Right, guys. We, I think we're, I think we're at an hour. I don't know why I'm surprised. No. We could do another hour just to stay on the call. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like people are going to get an insight into the four of us usual chats when we, uh, when we get together. It's just people yeah. are now getting to listen in on those chats. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully, people are enjoying them. I enjoy them. This is mainly why I'm doing this. So. <laughs> um, okay, guys. Well, thank you so much to everyone for joining. Um, I will link everyone's Twitters and contacts, etc., in the show notes. And um, I'll say goodbye now. Thank you very much. Pleasure as always. Bye. 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 Thank you.